the elite reunite in the ring. Eddie Kingston's in action, and Darby Allen straight up gets murdered in this week's review of AEW Dynamite. Oh, let me just sit back and just bask in it. Bask in watching good wrestling. Because I think the only thing I've watched for the past two weeks is like raw and old reruns of like Royal Rumble matches. So it was very good just to be back in AEW. And I think there may be a little bit of bias during this review because of that. But I there were still some moments in the show that I... Had a few problems with, but let's start with what opens the show. Eddie Kingston versus the bastard Pac. And, okay, at first I thought this was a weird time to blow this off. I was like, a random episode of Dynamite to blow off this rivalry? That's bizarre. Then I did remember this was like a special pay-per-view style episode. So then I went like, okay. Uh, Pac was out like a house of fire in the beginning. Uh, Eventually, Eddie... Turns the tables, gets all heelish, beats the shit out of Pac. This is the fire and intensity that AEW was built on. Both of these men brought so much to this match. It was phenomenal. End of the match, Pac hits the Black Arrow and then just locks him in the Brutalizer for no apparent reason. Like He was just like, all right, I've won the match and snapping the arm. And post-match, there's a standoff between Death Triangle and Butcher Blade and Bunny, and coming out to quote-unquote even the odds, which, that's the one thing with this angle, I still don't understand the numbers game, because Lance Archer comes out, and at first I thought it was weird, because I'm like, Eddie's arm's basically busted, why would you have Lance come out, like, they're already, the numbers game's already in their advantage, but then I realized why, when Lance Archer got into Pac's face, and basically said you either need to get on board or something, and commentary all but confirmed the tenuous relationship between Death Triangle and Lance Archer is over, and that makes me very excited for the future, because Pac versus Lance Archer is Mwah, chef's kiss that would be phenomenal but yeah this was a uh, this was a good opener it was very solid it was very brutal it was very violent and i loved it and then we move on to the second match which was unfortunately the weakest match of the night in my opinion chuck taylor versus miro and i don't need to go off on how much i love chuck taylor but Bud, this wasn't the match um i liked it, it felt weird in the opening at first for me But there was something about this I really liked. It felt weird at first because very similar to the first match, Chuck Taylor went in like a house of fire. He was offense, offense, offense. And I went, it's weird to do this twice in a row. Have Pac have a very brutal opening and then have Chuck have the exact same thing in the second match. It felt a little bizarre, but then I realized why. And it's the fact that Chuck Taylor gets all of this offense, but the very second 
that Miro was able to get any offense, the match was over. Basically, like, if you give Miro an inch in a match, he will destroy you. And that's what I liked about this. It was a clever way to keep the match going long while also showing how devastating of a wrestler to be in the ring with Miro is. It's very, very fun. I I, I really liked that. But, I, yeah, like I said... A little bit weak, a little bit slow in the beginning. I wasn't a, a, a big fan of that. But Chuck taps out to the uh, what was formerly the accolade, now it's called Game Over, and is now forced to be Miro's butler. And there's one part of this I, I didn't enjoy. And it's the fact that Chuck tapped because there's such a this has such a heated rivalry feel between Kip and Miro and the best friends and OC. Like, I mean, in storyline, they took out Chuck's best friend. They took out Trent. And it felt weird that after just a second of Miro sitting back and game over, Chuck tapped out. You know what I mean? Because, like, I'd understand if he hit the Machka kick, pinned him one, two, three, and then locked him in. That would make sense to me. But I, I, I the way I described it in my, my review that I wrote up was... Tapping is an option. You choose to tap or you choose to remain in pain. You choose to endure that pain. Being pinned isn't. Being pinned is being knocked out so badly you cannot lift a shoulder. And so that's that's kind of what bugged me about this was Chuck Taylor chose to end it. Like, Or I kind of wish I would at least seen more fight. It, it ended way too soon for me. Uh, then we get a promo from the Hardy Party during which finally, I think it was Isaiah, confronts Matt and says, you're taking a third of all of our earnings. What are we getting out of this? And it causes Matt to explode on them, say, you were nothing before Matt Hardy, you're nobodies, stuff like that. He's officially their manager now, and he's a heel, and it's very bizarre. And this is the one part of Dynamite that I just am not a fan of weekly. Like, I love broken Matt Hardy, I love version one Matt Hardy, but... I don't know. Matt Matt does some things sometimes and thinks it's interesting, but I but me personally I don't. Then we get a promo from the inner circle. And the fact that this came out on the same day that Chris Jericho just revealed that he had COVID in September, during which he appeared on every episode of Dynamite. I was uncomfortable and also not the biggest fan of Chris Jericho during this. So I was like, luckily they fixed it by having Jericho remain in the background instead, letting the rest of the inner circle members take the forefront, which I like because I actually like the rest of the inner circle guys. And then also there's Jake Hager. Um, so basically the gist of this is they're going over their New Year's resolutions and eventually Jericho reveals he and MJF are going to become the new tag team champions, causing Santana and Ortiz to be like, yo dog, <laughs> you know we're a tag team, right? Like you brought us in to be the tag team. And yeah, that makes sense. Like I love that. I like that they're at least addressing in storyline that it's complete and total horseshit for Jericho to be like, I'm gonna do this. Um, there's a fun moment where Guevara calls Jericho a tag team slut because he's tag teamed with like everybody in the inner circle. That was great. But then eventually, um, eventually Jericho says, fine, next week we will have a tag match to determine the official tag team of the inner circle. And it's going to be MJF and Jericho versus Pri Proud and Powerful versus the other two. I feel so bad for uh, Hager and Sammy because they were just like, I guess we're the last ones. 
And then Jericho in the ultimate dad move laughs because Sammy calls their tag team Sammy Hager, which sounds like that boy what sang in Van Halen. And Chris, we get it. You're old. And I'll be honest, the best person in this segment was MJF because it was very bizarre. But you could see MJF actively trying to keep the segment on the rails like jericho didn't even end the promo mjf ended it and it was very good i love mjf and i love the fact that this was a very bizarre weird segment and he tried to keep it on the rails and he tried to keep them on time and he tried to keep it ended it was very nice uh then we get a promo from the dark order who have a very serious moment saying everything they're doing going forward will still be honoring brody's name and then they bring in Hangman Adam Page and interview him and just have a fun time. And Hangman says next week after their match, they will. Re- Hangman will reveal whether or not he's joining the Dark Order. And I need him to join the Dark Order physically. Like the two hottest acts in AEW for the past year, the Dark Order and Hangman Page aligning. Oh, yes. Second chef's kiss of the episode. Uh, we then get a recap of Darby versus Brian Cage. What led to this match coming up? Um, it was a little long for my tastes, but whatever. Then we get a promo from the Elite where finally they're going to be teaming up. Taking on a random team. And so uh, I was really excited to actually see these boys get back. If you listened to Fight Boys last week, you'll know I was actually not that enthralled by the whole Bullet Club reunion at the end of last week's AEW. It felt too, like, it felt too nostalgia poppy for me. It felt a little gross. And the only thing that excited me was the whole fact that the Bucks looked a little uncomfortable dur- during it. And I said, okay, we, that they can use that moving forward but the two-week rule of AEW applies which of course if you don't know AEW if they do something wrong usually fixes it within two weeks it's a very they're very good about listening to people and they fixed it because this week Don Callis uh, Kenny's like you want to do the uh, elite trio entrance you want to do this you want to do that and Callis goes you know what the Bucks are amazing they need their own entrance and leads Kenny out to make his entrance but before the Bucks can come out, Callis grabs the microphone and says, Coming down to the ring, your world tag team champions and Kenny Omega's best friends. And it lays it on so thick that I'm like, it's the Good Brothers. And yes, it is, in fact, the Good Brothers. So, uh, the Bucks have been slighted by Kenny. He is fully aligned with the Good Brothers, and that's more interesting to me. Now, now we've got the Young Bucks versus the Good Brothers. You have the AEW Tag Team Champions versus the Impact Tag Team Champions. It's going to be super fun. I'm really excited to see that. Um, honestly, this match was good old bullet club bullshit which was let the baby faces get a lot of shine then pull some heelish interference tactics and gain control once again um i thought the baby faces got a little bit too much offense but that's just for my tastes like i kind of wanted just to see these two these three big men go in and destroy but no they it was uh the danny lamp limelight and the varsity blondes i'm not gonna keep disrespecting them by calling them the baby faces they were really good in this it's just a matter of 
that wasn't the story I wanted to be told with this. I wanted to see Kenny and the Good Brothers destroy. And, of course, last night I was upset about it, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized, oh, wait a minute, that is kind of how Bullet Club worked. It wasn't get in the ring and be good at wrestling. It was interfere. It was cheat. It was pull all of those classic 90s heel tactics. So, yeah, uh, they hit the magic killer for the win, and they are announced on on mic as the elite so apparently the new aew version of the elite is the good brothers and kitty omega which i'm sure the bucks are gonna have something to say about uh post-match moxley comes out beats everyone down he does not care but unfortunately the elite comeback big fight breaks out phoenix and penta come out and then uh, that just made me really want the lucha bros teaming with moxley against this trio that would be fun the bucks come out to try to like basically the bucks are the most intriguing characters in this because they they're best friends with kenny they don't want even though kenny did just be a huge dick to them on tv they don't want to drop him immediately so it was really fun to see them be like wait please please john moxley stop hurting our friend but also we understand he is a dick but then they turn around to super kicks from the uh, lucha bros and god there's just it was so much at the end of this match there were so many people out so many people involved and so many matches to be made for the future lucha bros and mox versus the pseudo elite the young bucks and moxley versus versus the pseudo-elite. Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros again. Like, there are so many different combos here, and I really, really like that. Then we get The Waiting Room with Cody Rhodes, um, which, if you don't watch AEW Dark, The Waiting Room is basically Britt Baker's Piper's Pit. And I had never seen an episode before, and I was very upset that I hadn't, because... As dumb as the premise is, it's very, very good. Imagine a pro wrestling version of Ellen done by heels. That's exactly what this is. So Britt, of course, is out there doing her opening monologue. Reba is playing the role of, like, the secondary host whose entire job is just to laugh at the main host. And she is she was killing me because she has the world's most annoying laugh. It was phenomenal. Uh, she had a few good burns to Cody, said, um, I, I'm, you've made a lot of mistakes in your career, but nothing worse than the one on your neck, stuff like that. Uh, it was all very, very good, and Cody comes out, they pull out sparklers for his entrance, which was great, and then Jade Cargill comes out, because even though Brandy's pregnant, we're continuing the Jade Cargill storyline. She still brings up Shaq, even though I'm fairly sure a few weeks ago Shaq was like, I don't know, man. I don't want to fight nobody. I don't want to do this. So apparently that's still going on. She slaps Cody. Then Red Velvet comes in, slaps Jade. Jade slaps Red Velvet. Then a brawl happens. It was full on jerry springer white trash television and props to Britt baker and reba for actually being the good part of it which is hard for them to be um and then randomly and this was confusing to me but i i realized what was going on it showed thunder rosa being attacked backstage which i think might have been from last week or a couple of weeks ago and she's being attacked by Britt. and for a moment i went did Britt just instant transmission 
into new clothes and go beat down Thunder Rosa. But no, they show that. And Thunder Rosa is here. She is on the Tron. She cuts an impassioned promo against Britt Baker and basically says, I went to Tony February 3rd, beach break. She finally gets her hands on Britt Baker, and I am so excited for it. Thunder Rosa, if you don't know, is my favorite woman's wrestler, I think, in the world right now, um, with Sasha Banks closely. Like, those two are very neck and neck for me. But yeah, she's great. I'm excited to see this, and I'm excited for Thunder to bring the best out of, uh, bring the best out of Britt Baker for a match. So yeah. The these two segments had a lot crammed into them. If you couldn't tell, like this this thirty minutes, it wasn't arduous to watch. But man, looking back on it, it was like okay, the Bucks have been betrayed and replaced by the Good Brothers, but also John Moxley's here. But now the Lucha Bros are involved. Wait a minute, now they're super kicking the Young Bucks. Oh wait, now we're in a waiting room. Oh Jade Cargill's here. She's slapping Cody, but Red Velvet here. Thunder Rosa. There was it was a a lot um so now we get a match that i'll be honest i was tempted to make a bathroom break match but i have youtube tv so i could pause it so it didn't matter and it's jurassic express versus ftr and firstly because i did not review last week's episode i would like to give the greatest thanks in the world to tony khan for buying the rights to tarzan boy because that's my favorite song from the 90s oh 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 Sorry. <clears throat> Anyways, I love that song. And I did not expect much out of this match, but I did enjoy the fact that instead of it being the typical team of Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, it was Marco and Jungle Boy, which was very interesting to see Jungle Boy play the big man. And, uh, yeah, Marco's stunt fucking rules. That's all I'll say. That's all I have to say about this match. Marco's stunt rules. Because he's so small... It allows him to do insane things. Like, at one point, uh, one of the guys in FTR, which I really wish they didn't have weird porn star names now, because I can't remember which is which, um, one of them puts him in a gory special, but because Marco's so tiny, he could wrap his entire ankles around the front of him. It was insanity. That was good, uh, but Marco had a lot of fire out of it. There was amazing high-flying stuff. There was such creative, innovative offense. And, yeah, this was match of the night. I think this might have been match of the night. It was that good. Like, uh, like Marco hits a low blow and nearly gets a near fall. Uh, FTR does, like, this was Jurassic Express's star-making match, like, without a doubt. Or at least Marco Stunt's star-making match, because he did phenomenally in this. And I cannot wait to see what AEW does with him going forward. FTR did, did their best thing, which is to be the old school heels who just keep interfering and let the baby faces shine and that's exactly what happened and it was so good then we get Tay Conte versus Serena Deeb for the NWA Women's World Heavyweight Championship and uh yeah it's it fuck I don't want to be the guy who just immediately says all of these matches are great but they are AEW's women women's division is so great and they barely get anything 
I mean, Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker was a footnote to the Jade Cargill versus Red Velvet storyline, which no offense to Jade or Red Velvet, but I don't think Jade's wrestled a match ever. And so that makes me nervous. And I'd rather them build up Brit versus Thunder or build up this match, but they give them no time. But when they do give them their time, they make the most of it. And this match was just good fucking technical bullshit it was so good uh serena deeb is slowly becoming one of my favorites uh like i liked her back in the straight edge society and i've kind of lost track of her career since then but i love what they're doing with her because honestly i think it's what they need to do with natalia in wwe which is they've been around for so long like how do you how do you not have Natty be considered like a veteran and have her come out and take people to class, as it were? Um, instead, she's a weird little cat lady, and I don't understand it. But yes, yeah, Serena is amazing because she has been a trainer, and you can see that in the way she moves. Like, it almost reminds me of Timothy Thatcher, bizarrely enough. The fact that she tests her opponents. She puts them in holds and sees if they can escape. It, I wish I was good enough to describe this match. Because shit like Taz versus Darby, which we're about to get into, I could just be like, big boy throw little boy. But in this one, there were so many transitions, so many good technical moves. Um, at one point, I can't remember if it was Ty or Serena who took it, but a gory special on top of the ropes it was good. Uh, Serena, it ends the match with the deep talks, and I think that's the name of the move. They kept saying it on commentary, but I'm not going to lie, I couldn't understand commentary half the time, because that's how AEW is. Uh, but yeah, it was good, good shit. It was a very, very good match. I just wish I would be able to describe it to you to you guys. Uh, it's The only thing that took this from like a five-star match to a four-star match is um, not any fault of the women at all. It's the fact that they didn't have enough time. They did not have enough time to put on, like, do everything they could do. You could tell they were holding back. So now, on to the main event. And this is the part in my recap where it goes from normal, uh, perfectly cromulent text to marking out like a madman and just writing in all caps because that's all this match was was a mark out fest it was insanity it is i i just now realized i did write taz versus darby allen in my notes it's brian cage versus darby allen although taz versus darby also would have been good um darby did uh the best selling i've ever seen in it, Dolph Ziggler out of here. Shawn Michaels out of here. Darby Allen is the best seller in the history of professional wrestling. Either that or he is actually dead right now because holy shit. Starts out the match like a house of fire. He has the scariest tope in the world because he just kind of yeets himself at the ground and hope he makes it. And then uh, that was a great moment. Goes for a tope. Cage catches him mid tope and then suplexes him and then they get back in the ring brian picks up darby and yeets him 10 feet 
out of the ring through a table. And this was not a normal table break. Like, we've all seen a table break in wrestling where it just cracks perfectly in two. This, this bitch imploded. This thing imploded. It completely busted apart. It was insanity. This boy has a death wish. He gets busted open on the table. And this was just a brutal ass kicking by brian cage he beats him down all the way through the commercial break um at one point commentary brings up the fact that cage has never been pinned or submitted in aew which made me very nervous because i didn't want darby's reign to end this early but luckily it doesn't because darby refuses to stay down every single time cage pins him he kicks out at one like he hits an f5 kicks out at one hits a big power bump kicks out at one it was so good um then brian pulls out steel steps essentially is going to power bomb darby onto them from the inside of the ring and also i didn't realize that their steel steps weren't segmented like in wwe it's just one hunk of metal so yeah go work brian cage you're a scary scary man that you can lift that whole thing so he lifts it Puts it there. Darby, of course, reverses. Cage falls down onto it. Coffin drop. Both men nearly get counted out. Um, And then Darby ties Brian Cage's legs together after the count out. Uh, ties his legs together beats the shit out of him cage barely gets out of it but as he does he looks up what's that oh it's a fucking code red from hell just slams him down onto his neck and then there was another good moment uh they continue to brawl around the ring cage gets pinned in a corner by darby and then kicks out but it's that thing where a guy kicks out so hard it's it's one of those things in wrestling that's definitely unrealistic but i forgive it because of how cool it is especially in this moment but in every big guy match there is the moment where you kick out and throw the guy and so the little guy just goes flying well in this case he flew onto the top rope he flew onto the top rope hit a double foot stomp, started to go up top for the coffin drop, but then, of course, uh, Hook, Taz's son, gets involved, Ricky Starks comes out, and then, it's Sting! Sting shows up, hits Ricky with a baseball bat, and, uh, but I, what I liked about this was it wasn't a dumb WWE finish, which would have been Sting hits him with a baseball bat, Darby hits coffin drop, one, two, three, but no, so much time has passed. Brian obviously had time to get back. So I, I appreciate that they didn't do the dumb way. So Brian gets back to his feet, goes to the top rope, is about to literally just kill Darby, drop him to hell, and Darby reverses it into an avalanche crucifix powerbomb and holds on one, two, three. Darby Allen is still your TNT champion, and holy shit, what a match. It Well, it wasn't a match. It was a beating, and Darby got in some good offense, but this made Brian Cage look like the machine that he truly is. I loved it. The only thing, I wish Sting had been more of a presence, and I don't mean that in, like, I don't want Sting to go around the ring and beat people up with bats. I mean, like, an actual physical presence. Because, like, when The Undertaker comes out, you feel it. You know what I mean? Like, even if the segment's focused on someone else, you still feel the aura of The Undertaker. 
Sting did kind of just feel like Darby's weird face-painted dad who's hanging out with a bat, and everyone's just kind of like, oh, mate, you need to stay away from him. He's got a bat. He's going to hurt you. But other than that, it's okay. He's going to pick us up from Books A Million later. Like, no, it, 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 I wanted Sting to feel a little bit more, but it's okay. There's, there's going to be more to come. Two-week rule. Two-week rule. But... Uh, as far as my overall review goes, I think this was mostly elite. I think this was a solid four out of five show. Uh, and I'm only doing, I'm only saying that because I'm very precious with my five out of fives. I think I only get, like, only get a few to hang, hand out throughout the year and I, I'm saving them. So yeah, mostly elite, four out of five. Like I said, the stuff early on with the Chuck Taylor and Miro and the, the Hardy Party stuff and, Chris Jericho just being the fucking worst. Like, that all took it down a peg for me. But do you agree? Do you disagree? Let me know down in the comments or on my personal Twitter account at ScottyMo, S-C-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O. And always, please remember to try and support us on Patreon.com slash a load of BS. We do these shows for you guys free, and we have more shows available for you over there on Patreon.com slash a load of BS. And as always, remember to follow us on Twitter at Fight Boy Show, because when you're a fight boy you're a fight boy for life 